using that coach in you. I love it. Okay, that hiss. That's you know when you live when you have a, an old church building. These are the things like you know twenty years from now you're like man I remember when I was at Valley Bible and then Brad would be preaching and there'd be this hiss. And I just I grew to love it. You know, let's just you know it's it's, it's nostalgia, right? We just it's just having an old building. That's what comes with that. Kind of it kind of makes me laugh. Okay, welcome. Glad you're here. So often we like to kind of kick things off, you know, with a little bit of discussion, a little bit of question, get the brain turning. How many of you? This is a really deep, important theological question. How many of you have ever had a dog? Right? Most of you have had a dog. You knew someone who had a dog. How many of you love the like puppy training phase? Right? Where they're like pooping on everything and chewing up your shoes and like all that. I mean, I know they're cute, right? They're cute. And that kind of gets them some grace. But right, we 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 train dogs and we have to like go through this process. So so when we're training an animal, right, you don't walk up to a dog, the puppy, when you first get this little cute little puppy, right? You get a little puppy. I get this puppy voice whenever I'm with, I'm like, oh, little, little, little guy, right? So you rock up to the puppy and you don't say to the puppy, sit. And it just goes, oh, yeah, right? It's like, no, I'm going to poop and I'm going to chew on some stuff for a while. And you're like, no, 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 sit. And they're like, you know, and, and right over and over and over and time and time. And you have to like take them and put them back and you give them a treat and you're going back. You put them back and it's like time goes by. Sit. And then you teach them the different. You're right. It takes time. No one expects that when you, you know, get a puppy, that when you speak to it, that it's going to recognize the command, right? That's going to recognize what you're saying. We don't have that expectation. We know when you sign up for a puppy, you're signing up for a process, right? And there's beauty in it. And we delight in it. That's why we get dogs. But there's also some, some pain in there, right? Like it's, it's not always enjoyable. So today, we're actually looking at this metaphor that Jesus gives us, right? He's been explaining from every angle, right? We're in John chapter 10 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to John chapter 10. He's been coming at the spiritual life, life with God, union to Christ. He's been approaching this from so many different angles because he wants to give all of these different pictures, realities, metaphors, figures of speech for us to be able to wrap our hearts and minds around what it means to actually follow God, to actually walk with him. Right, So in, in John chapter 10, we're going to look at a famous one, and I think puppies is a good backdrop for us because most of us, you know, every now and then you'll get a random shepherd in the group, like, actually, I do have a, a fold of sheep, uh, right? You'll get a random person who has like some goats or something, but like most of us don't have that experience, but most of us have been around puppies and we kind of know what that, that process is like. So I want to put that in the kind of back of your mind as, as kind of backstory. So we're going to dive, in, dive into John 10 here for a second. I want to pray before we dive in. We're going to try and be praying a little bit more globally minded. So if you have some prayers or things that come to mind, again, I, I, I'm behind the ball today because I'm trying to get into a rhythm of this. I'm like, oh, wait, wait. So does anyone remember the name of the country specifically that had the tidal wave recently? I know Ghana had one. Wasn't there another one? It was Tonga. I thought it was Tonga, but I didn't want to go up there and say Tonga. And people were like, what Tonga? What Tonga? So Tonga and Ghana have both had title waves. So I'm going to pray for them specifically. So hear me. If there's something, especially globally, that you want prayer for, get on a connect card and just say, man, we should be praying for, you know, my, my missionary friend in Iraq or whatever it may be. So feel free to fill out a connect card sending us uh, requests for things to pray for. Let me pray for us, which I'm going to pray for our time together, but also what's going on in the world. And then we'll dive into the word together. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that we're here. Um, all that's happening in our world right now with COVID, 
uh, surging and, and ice and snow, and yet we're here. We get to gather. Lord, would we never forget the beauty and the grace it is to assemble as the people of God. Just worshiping publicly is a gift, and would we remember that? Lord, we pray as we talk about gathering together and our ability to do so, we think about Ghana and we think about Tonga and we think about all of the turmoil that they are dealing with, facilities ruined, lives taken, and all the difficult things that are happening. Lord, we pray that your grace and your peace and your provision would be present with the people of God there. And as Lord, as you care for your sheep, would those sheep go out and share that blessing and gospel with, with those around? Would the gospel be especially clear and beautiful and rescuing in this time? Would those who do not know where to turn, would they, would they see the people of God loving as you do? And would they, would they turn to Christ? Would they behold the glory of Christ? And would you, would you heal and would you bind up and would you care for those who are hurting and those who are in need in those places, Lord? Help us as believers to never get siloed only in our context, but that we would remember that this world needs the beauty and light of Christ. And would we be a people who are sending our money, who are going and visiting and caring for those who are in need, we pray. In Jesus' name, Lord, fill us with your word. Fill us with your spirit as we dive into your word together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So prepare yourselves. Hopefully, there'll be a little bit longer prayers as we are starting out, right? As, as our loving Australian brother said, your prayers should be some similar length to your announcements, right? That's a, that's a nice loving uh, rebuke of us. So, so, right, like, let's make sure we pray also, we're gathering for the word and for prayer. So John 10, let's hop in John 10. So, so again, if you've been tracking with us, we have, uh, you know, we've been, we've been working all these different metaphors. We have, you know, this picture of being born again in John 3, where you have to be born from above. And there's all these different ways Jesus is illustrating what it means to walk with him. We have John 4, right after John 3, with he's having that conversation. John 4 is the woman at the well right? Living water is the picture there that he's standing before a well and saying, I'm going to give you living water that will never, you know, be quenched, this living water that will overflow. We have that. And then we have all these different pictures, right, throughout the whole book here. I have them right here in front of me, right? We have uh, making the broken whole, the healing at the pool in John 5, where he takes things that are broken and, and damaged and he, he makes them whole. He's restoring and reconciling all things. You get the bread of life, chapter 6, right? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And again, Almost every time Jesus is saying this stuff, people are looking at him, especially, you know, the John 6 with the flesh and blood thing, like, what are you talking about? And the same, we find that this week. They're even more, the kind of the language is, is ramping up. Um, you got living water in John 7 again. We have light of the world, John 8. We have John 9 is the background. So let me get to John, the end of John 9, right? You get this guy who is blind and Jesus does that weird thing which, you know, the story, again, I, I, Vince preached it for us last week online, but it's always this weird story. He hocks a loogie in the dirt, right? People are like, wait, what? So Jesus is like, I'm going to heal you. And the guy's like, can you just heal me? Can we, I don't know what's about to happen, but so Jesus does this weird thing and he like scoops up the spit with the dirt in it, makes a little salve, puts it on the guy's eyes, right? I mean, you got to imagine if you're that guy, you're like, I mean, I know you're going to heal me and all, but what are you doing? He's like, hey, go and wash in this certain pool and you'll see. And he does. And he sees. And they keep interrogating this guy. 
And at the end of that story, it's kind of, the, kind of a, an aside of that story, but it sets up our story for today. He gets thrown out of his synagogue. He gets thrown out of his community of faith because he keeps saying, they say, how, how did this happen? And he actually, at the end of the story says, I've already told you this like five times, guys. You keep asking, and I keep telling you, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth came and healed my blindness. And they kick him out of the synagogue. They cast him out is the language that's used at the end of John 9. And so what we have here is this picture where he's cast out. And then, then Jesus now in John 10 is having this exchange at the end of chapter 9 with the leaders, with, with the shepherds of Israel, these people who just kicked out this faithful sheep out of the fold. They booted him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus is interacting with these leaders at the end of chapter 9. And that is really the onus for why we are talking about sheep and shepherds this morning. It has to do with bad shepherding. It has to do with people who are abusing their authority, people who are not listening to God, those who are blind guides. They're not seeing, right? And so think of the irony there. They're not seeing. They're having a hard time seeing. And this guy just got healed of his blindness. And then we get this discussion about shepherds. So this is John 10. And again, the backdrop is these bad shepherds. And really, if you want to do some study on, on some of that, is uh, Ezekiel 34, Isaiah 56. There's this kind of a clean rebuke of what's happening in Israel. But verse chapter 10, starting in verse 1, let me read a little bit for us. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So we'll pause here. That's kind of the intro, and then he kind of gets a longer explanation. So basically, you have these leaders who are doing a terrible job leading the sheep, and so he is starting to speak against them. Again, he comes out of the gate. He doesn't just say, hey, you're sheep, and I'm the good shepherd. It's actually an argument based upon a correction. So this morning, we're going to get some comfort, but we're also getting correction. And this is often what happens with what Jesus teaches, is, is it comforts those who believe and love Jesus, and it's the exact opposite for those who don't. It is a rebuke. And this is one of the ironies of when we come to gather for worship is sometimes we come, we hear the word of God, and we don't get comforted. We get corrected, right? So sometimes it's a correction, and sometimes it's a comfort, and sometimes the same word does both. And that's what this passage is meant to do. It's meant to be a corrective for those who are using their specifically spiritual leadership abusively, right? As he's talking about what a good shepherd looks like. That's his kind of backdrop. So we see that he's setting the stage. There's one point this morning. There's one point, which is Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And then we're going to look at three different aspects of what he specifically means by the fact that he is the good shepherd, because that's kind of an ambiguous picture. They don't even understand, as the, the language here says, they don't understand the figure of speech. So he goes in to explain it to them. So let's pick up in John 7, because Jesus tells us what he's talking about. 
Because we hear that, we go, okay, that's okay. There's a, there's a flock. I get that we're sheep and he's the shepherd. Again, I, I, I don't want it lost on us. I want us to make sure we orient ourselves rightly. We are the puppy in the analogy, right? We're not the trainers. We're the puppy. We're the ones who are like, um, I want stuff to chew on. Yeah, just poop on your rug. Yeah, right? Like we, we just, we, we're, we, are, we are out of sorts and we need help. We need training. We need directive. But I want you to note his tone there, right, where he's saying, the puppy who is being taught, and I'm using a puppy because we don't understand this agrarian picture, but we understand dogs, right? The puppy that's being taught, if, if I'm training the puppy and I have built this rapport with him, this familiarity with him, when you come in and just try and talk to my dog, he, he, he's not going to really get what you're saying as much. He's not going to follow you, right? Because I've been the one who's been building this rapport with him. And so that's what we see is he kind of starts with that. And then we go to verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Interesting. So not only is he the shepherd, but he now is also saying he's the door. So he is the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He, uh, excuse me, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my, from my father. And then look at their response. Look at verse 19. And there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We'll stop right there. Right? So just, just as a, I keep making this point, I want to, I'm going to just, I will make this point every time I read a passage like this. I want you to note, here is Jesus doing exactly what the Father has commissioned him to do, teaching wonderful, beautiful, powerful words, and he is despised because of it. May we not expect different when we go and share God's truth and live God's truth, and invite to God's truth when they're like, you're crazy. This is what Jesus has offered. It's insanity to those who don't believe, and it's life to those who do. So I just say that constantly, because when I speak the word, and people look at me like I've got five heads, and I'm like, I don't like being kind of mocked, 
just know that this, this is what our shepherd dealt with and this is what we will deal with. So Jesus is the good shepherd and there's three specific aspects that he emphasizes that what he means when he says he's the good shepherd. The first is he's the gate. He's the gate, right? He is the way in. So again, he is giving us a picture. When someone says, what's it look like to follow Jesus? We've had all these pictures before today, but today when we say, what does it look like to follow God? What's it look like to, to follow Jesus? The picture we're supposed to have in our mind is that picture of the sheep slash the dog that when you see a master walking and the dog stays right by his side, right? What is that animal doing? Well, you know, we would say, well, he's following the shepherd, right? He's following his master. And what do we mean by that? We mean like, no, no, he's like actually literally following him, right? Not spiritually, like physically. So, th so the care for these animals, how, how do they persist? How do they thrive? How do they continue to grow and have provision and be cared for? How do they actually do that? Well, the simple answer of all of that is they stay close to the shepherd, right? They stay close to the shepherd, just in a physical sense, right? This is true of our toddlers, right? These, these beings who cannot care for themselves, they stay in proximity to their authority, right? To their, to their place of provision. And so this is what we see that he is saying that the first aspect about Jesus is he not only is the good shepherd, but what he means by that is he's the gate. So again, he's, he's kind of, Jesus does this. He kind of mixes his metaphors here. So he's saying the good shepherd, not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd, like the shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep, Jesus, when he says that he's a good shepherd, he not only is the one who tends, who's inside of the pen, who is there close, he's also the means by which you get access to the shepherd. This is important. There's, there's not somebody else who's supposed to guide us to get to Jesus. Jesus is saying, you get to me by me, right? Right? You believe upon Christ, and, and this, this, this phrase is going to become critical for us as we understand these three aspects of the Good Shepherd is that he lays his life down for the sheep. That's going to be the key to how he is the gate. How is it that he's the gate? Well, he lays his life down for the sheep. He dies and he resurrects. And so what he said is, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? We're going to get to that. And so what he's saying here is, is the only way that you get to him, the only way that you get to the Father is by believing upon him and saying, I put my faith in you, I'm going to follow you. So then he opens the door, and so now you're brought into the fold by the door, right? By the means of faith in Christ, faith in Jesus. So the first thing that Jesus is, is he is the gate. How is it that he's the gate? He's the gate because he lays his life down for the sheep, right? This death, and then he actually says at the end, right, that I can also take my life back up again. No one takes it from me. So the first aspect of him being the good shepherd is he's the gate. Now, the second part, I think, is part of what, like, one of the main ideas of what he's trying to get to. So he is the gate. He's also the guard, right? He's also the guard. All this language throughout here about thieves, right? So look at what it says in verse 10. We love this. And, and it's often misquoted, right? John 10, 10. The thief comes to keep, steal, not keel, to steal, kill, and destroy. Keel, steal, and destroy. Anyway, uh, sorry. Okay, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And how do you guys use that passage? No one's answering, but um, right, I use that passage often to talk about Satan, right? Like the enemy, 
the devil. That passage is not about the devil. Actually, if you want to have a, the devil in here, you probably could go with the wolf. But this passage is talking, there's, there's really uh, at least three enemies that I can see in here. I see thieves, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then later, we see he, he nuances that, which I think he's equating the first two enemies as being the same thing, which is disturbing because the second group, so the first one is the thieves. The second one is the hireling. Look at verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand. And he cares nothing for the sheep. Huh. So wait a second. So we have the thief, and then we have these hired hands. So he wants to be clear here. So he's saying thieves that come to steal, kill, and destroy are the same group as these hired hands. Meaning they're in the pen not because they care to do God's work, right? I think about Peter's words at the, at the end of John where he says, um, where, where Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. And he says, well, you know I do. He says, feed my sheep. He says it, he said it three times at the end of John. And really all of that, both what this is talking about and what he is doing with Peter is echoing Ezekiel 34 specifically. I want to leave, read just a little snippet out of Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 has this great picture, right? He's talking to the leaders of Israel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, God's, uh, uh, Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Man, he's saying, I put you in positions to steward my flock. And not only did you not care for them, you used them for your own gain. And what happened? They were scattered. Because they learned, as animals do. You ever been to a puppy that had a bad owner? And I know we all have. We've all seen those uh, commercials. Right? We all have those neighbors where you walk up to a dog and their tail goes between their legs and they duck and they turn and they wince and you reach out your hand to try and be kind and sweet to them and they know nothing of kindness and sweetness. All they know is of harshness, of masters who's neglected them and beat them and used them for their own selfish gain. Those kinds of animals, they do scatter. They do flee. They don't stick close because they want nothing to do with harsh shepherds. 
And that's what he says. And he goes on, man. He, he riffs there in, in Ezekiel 34, and he lays it out about how they have abused their position. So you have Jesus here who's saying, no, he's the gate. That's what he means by the good shepherd. He's the gate. And how does he do that? By laying down his life for the sheep. Think about the contrast about laying down his life for the sheep. He's the guard, right? So he is actually dealing with the thieves and robbers. He's actually dealing with the hired hands. He's actually keeping the wolves away. And so, you know, if you're, if you're like me and you have a, you know, like my dad's a pretty strong dude, right? You got somebody who's coming to bother you. You got some animal that's dangerous and dad's nearby. You know, you just kind of get behind dad. And you're like, dad, you're invincible. Go deal with the bad stuff, right? And so he's the guard. He is the one who's protecting the sheep. He is the one who's keeping them and showing them and, and giving them this contrast of no, we are not to be people. Hear me. So you, you could look at this and you can sit back in judgment and say, oh yeah, those, those, those bad leader guys who are abusing their positions, right? Which, which this fits for those guys. And, and, and we should do this. And as pastors, we use this passage. You know, Jesse and I were talking about this this week. We use this passage with our, with our pastoral candidates who are being trained for pastoral ministry, right? Hey, uh, guys, let's read through this. Why are you getting into ministry? You get in ministry to have a good salary? You get in ministry to have a good reputation? You get in ministry to preach great sermons so people get up there and be like, man, you, wow, man, great shepherd, you know? Or are you doing this because God said that his sheep need to be fed and they need to be cared for? And it's going to be messy business, right? But we also need to make sure we take note too to say, man, how am I using my relationships? How am I using my influence? How am I using those things to not be somebody who's taking for my own gain, but loving and guiding and pointing constantly to, the, to this reality that how is it that he guards? By laying his life down for the sheep, right? Would we be people, both kind of metaphorically and literally, who if we have the situation and someone says, okay, it's you or them, you go, hey, take me. Like, uh, you know, I'll take, I'll take it. I'll take the, the punishment. Let me be somebody who lays my life down for the sheep. So we have the good shepherd. He's the gate. He's the guard. And he's also the guarantee. He's also the guarantee. So let's jump down to verse 22. Pick up where we left off. And at the time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him to say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, for I and the Father are one. Pause right there. So look, it's, it's good news, right, that he's the gate, that we get access to him even by his own work by him laying down his life. It's good news that he's the guard, right? That he keeps us from thieves and robbers and wolves. It's good news that he is there to protect us and lay his life down for us. But did you hear that last promise? And he's really adamantly clear, right? No one will snatch them out of my hand. Listen, God is not reliant upon your grip. 
right? He's not reliant upon your ability to be agile to escape the wolves, right? As if you're like, okay, if I don't do this right, I'm just going to get, I mean, oh man, uh, I've been working on my agility drills, you know, at CrossFit. And if I can just do, if I'm strong enough, maybe I can get away from that wolf. And yet, isn't that how we often live? Like, if I could just figure this out, if I could just do the right stuff and dodge this enough, then maybe I'll be okay. Do you hear me? Listen, church. Let me read this over you. Just close your eyes and listen to this. Verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Listen, this is the heart of the gospel. Is that when you believe upon Christ, He's not relying on your emotional state, on your willingness, or or how well you do whatever you do. He is saying when you believe upon Christ, He holds you. And His grip is impenetrable. And we're people who find security on our darkest day when we were a bad sheep and we, we faltered. He is there and he is not a harsh shepherd. He lays his life down for the sheep. Right? Why is it we keep getting puppies? Right? They poop and they bite and they're hard to deal with. And yet you dog people especially, the delight. Right? Sometimes it baffles me. You know, like my sister, people, my sister walks around the neighborhood. Uh, one-tenth of people know her name. Everyone knows the dog's name. Right? Oh, you're Sprocket's owner. Oh, hey, Sprocket. Oh, yeah, Sprocket. Right? We keep getting dogs. Why? We delight in them, don't we? They're a joy to us. We have this strange grace that we give them. We go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they pooped in my living room. Like, if any of you guys did that to me, I mean, no offense, I love you guys. But, like, I'm probably not going to invite you back, you know? Like, look, we'll meet at the coffee shop, okay? Because, uh, I mean, we know what happened last time. Didn't go well. And, yeah, with puppies, we, they live in our house. We keep feeding them, right? Why? Because there's delight there. And that's just, that pales. That pales in comparison to how God feels about us. And yet we have all the patience in the world for these puppies. He loves us more than we can imagine, and he is greater than all. His grip is what we find hope and rest in. So he is the good shepherd. That manifests itself in three specific ways. He's the gate. And how is it that he's the gate? Because he lays his life down for the sheep. He is the guard. How is it that he's the guard? He lays his life down for the sheep. He's the guarantee. How is it that he's the guarantee? His blood is eternal blood. His grip is an eternal grip. You cannot be snatched away from him, even by your own folly. He holds those who believe upon him. So with all of that being the case, what do we do with that? 
And here's one of the things I kind of want to undo. And when I read this passage, I kind of have this mystical, like, he's going to speak a word and I'm just going to know that it's him mystically. And I'm going to be like, oh, that's the voice of Jesus. I'm drawn over that way. I don't think that's quite how it works. It doesn't work that way with puppies. It doesn't work that way with sheep, right? It's not some mystical thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a kind of, a, there's a little bit of pragmatism to it, right? Like, how do the sheep know that's their shepherd. Like we were talking, sharing stories in our sermon prep time about like, you know, you have these, these two farms where they get together and they, all the cows are intermixed and then you'd have like Billy Bob and, and uh, you know, Sergio and they'd come together and they'd go, and you know, Sergio would go, Benaki, you know, and they would like go to Sergio, right? Because he's saying, because they, they, they know his voice, you know? And you know, Billy Bob can say the same phrase and try and repeat what Sergio sounds like, but they're not going to go to Billy Bob. Billy Bob's going to, y'all come over here, you know, and then the, 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 the cows are going to go over there. Because they know his voice. Why do they know his voice? Did they get like a Billy Bob chip when they were purchased? No. No, at four in the morning, right? When they're giving birth to their calf. And this is one of the reasons I'm not a farmer. But at four in the morning, it's 10 degrees outside. And they're giving birth to a calf. Who's out there? The farmer's out there. You guys ever seen the life of a farmer? they're out there and they, they remember, yeah, I birthed this calf. And I was there and she was in labor and I had to leave what I was doing because she, she needed me. And I was there and I, and, I, and I stewarded that birth and made sure that, that, that little colt, that little calf, that they had what they needed. And so, so he's there and he's, he's coaching this cow through this whole process and caring for her and feeding her and warming her when it's too cold. So when he comes and he says, hey, it's time to go, it's time to go eat. She knows who he is. It's not a mystery to her. She goes, yeah, that's my shepherd. Right? And she's a cow, so she's like, ma. Mmm. Yeah. He gets my hay. <laughs> right? But she knows who he is. And so here's my question for us. I think we overcomplicate things sometimes. What's it look like to follow Jesus? Stay close to him. Like, I actually stay close to him. What's it, what does it mean to stay close to him? That's something we need to, we need to work through in, in small groups. That's why we do small groups. Just to go, huh, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus? Because hear me, there's this whole thing about hearing the voice, which is really cool and kind of like, oh man, like we hear his voice, we just know it's him. And, but really it's this idea of like, yeah, the, the more you're around someone, you know what they sound like. The, not just the intonation, but like if you came up to me and gave me a message from my wife, I'm probably going to be able to read through whether I, uh, that doesn't sound like her. Like she didn't talk like that. She wouldn't say it that way, right? What's it look like to follow Jesus? And I think sometimes we overcomplicate. So here, here's what I want to say. We, we are learning to listen, but that comes, that learning to listen comes in proximity to Jesus, Right? So you get around people who know Jesus and they talk like Jesus and they, and they talk the things of Jesus. What's it look like to actually follow Jesus? To walk with him, right? Because the end result of this is not that you just hear the voice, right? And here's the picture. It's not just that the sheep in the field, when the, when the shepherd goes, hey, Betty Sue, you know, I'm talking about that's what I would probably name a sheep. That's a good sheep name. Betty Sue. And she goes, oh yeah, that's my shepherd. No, I'm not coming. Uh, you, you go for it. You're good. I'm going to stay here. Got some really good grass. See ya, right? It's not that we just identify that it's him. 
That's not what this is about. It's not about just going like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Jesus. No, no, no. It actually, that listening does something. That we hear it and then we follow him. So if the, if the sheep is able to identify Jesus, not super helpful. The point is, is that they hear his voice and they follow after him. Oh, it's time to go. Okay. And then they go. You, you get what I'm saying here? Sometimes we get so caught up on the identification piece as if we just can just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's God. Well, yeah, that's great. That's great that you know what God says, but what God says is supposed to produce something in us. And the more we're in proximity to Jesus, people who talk like Jesus, the words of Jesus, right? The, the more we're in proximity to those things, there's a simplicity to that, huh? Time in his words, time with him. I mean, it kind of boils down to that. How does a sheep learn? They learn by listening. And how do you listen if you're not close to the shepherd? And then you see what he's like. And here's the beautiful thing. People who've walked with Jesus a long time, spend some time with some older saints. And then when they hear something, they will go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's from my king. That's a message from God. And it's not like a, they have to have some sort of mystical knowledge. No, they just, they, they know God. Like they've walked with him. They've listened to his word. They've watched him move and operate for decades on end. So when they hear a word, it's not this like, I had this kind of inner feeling that it wasn't God. It's like, no, no, I know what God is like. I know him. And that is not what he's like. He doesn't affirm that kind of stuff. There's a pragmatism to that. I think sometimes we over-mystify it. Spend time with him in his word, with his people. And then when God says stuff and wants you to do things, it actually is kind of obvious. Like, hey, we're going to go eat over here. Oh, right. Yeah, because there's good grass over there. That's, I've done this like 10,000 times. He always leads us to the greener pastures. Huh. Right? And the sheep isn't having some mystical feeling in their gut. They're just going like, oh, yeah, the shepherd knows. And so we go where he, and there's good water. And yeah, that's just how it works. And there's a beautiful simplicity sometimes to walking with Jesus. May we be those kind of people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that you are the good shepherd and that, and that you are the gate and you are the guard and you are the guarantee. And in, and in some sense, you're doing all the heavy lifting and you are, you are doing all the complex work of redeeming us. And what you really ask of us is just to draw near to you, right? To, that we would, we would believe upon you and that we would trust in you. You say believe and that we would follow after you. We don't even fully know what that means and we're not intended to. It's proximity to you, which happens when we believe upon you and we walk with you. Lord, I actually pray, would we, would we remove some of the mysticism of that in a healthy way so that we can actually just kind of do some of the pragmatic patterns of being near to our shepherd? Lord, would you help us not overcomplicate? And to try and listen and just feed from you and listen and feed from you and listen and feed from you. And would you just help us to walk in that? And when we do it as a people, this happens in herds. The picture here is not one sheep with one shepherd. The picture is a sheep and a flock that we are doing this together. And that when we do that well as sheep, we actually do it better. God, help us walk this out. Would we rejoice in the simplicity of having a good shepherd that we can trust in and follow after. We love you, Lord. You have been too gracious to bring us through the gate and to hold us as your children. 
Lord, help us to follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.